Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by Super Guardian, a specialist self-managed super fund administrator known for their client-centric approach to their full service solution. If you need SMSF support or CPD, check out the Knowledge Center or sign up for Super Guardian updates at superguardian.com.au. Welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today we are rounding out our self-managed super fund series, and I'm joined by Tim Miller, the head of education from Super Guardian. G'day, Tim. G'day, Fraser. How are you going there? Very, very well. Thank you. Thank you for asking. It's uh, it's a beautiful morning, so I can't complain. <laughs> tell us uh, now. Tell us about um, Super Guardian. Just uh, we might start there. I think. What what, what do you do then? Yeah, so so my role at Super Guardian is uh, head of head of education. So you know, it's a fairly fairly broad role. Um, I was I was brought into the business to I guess expand uh, the services that we offer. We've been uh, providing self managed super fund administration for for over eighteen years, and um, you know, so sizable administration business. And uh, and my role was really to to provide that additional service, the the operation of of providing education for not only our advisor network but also our trustee network and and internally as well. So so yeah, it's really a, a broad role where um, where I'm there to uh, to to play the uh, the middle person between the the regulators and the law and um, and and the outside world and how that all sits strategically in, in, in elements of education. Fantastic. And more importantly, you get to talk to people all day. I do. I do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most uh, most people in my life will tell me that I'm, uh, I'm not uh, shy in having a, a word or two to say. Oh, you sound like just like all the advisors listening. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Uh, except, uh, except you don't have to do statements of advice on Correct. whenever Correct. you provide some information. So. That's right. Yeah, lucky. So, tell us your story. Where did uh, where did this all begin for you? Yeah, look, um, it's it's a, it's an interesting story, and um, well, I mean, we're talking superannuation and, and using the word interesting in the same sentence. <laughs> it's but, interesting. Yeah, Come on, yeah. we're all we're all nerds. <laughs> but uh, look, my, my story started. I I uh, I'm always hesitant to uh, to go too far back, but uh, but that, that that's more the the dark cloak of of mystery. But I, I did start out uh, as a as a youth trainee in the in the Australian Taxation Office, and um, you know the the whole the whole thing about working in the ATO is that. Uh, that I wanted to do everything except tax uh, when I when I worked in there, and um, so in about 1994, just shortly after Super Guarantee was introduced in the 92-93 year, the ATO went went on this sort of uh, expansive um, introduction of the superannuation business line, and uh, and I jumped jumped sort of both feet in, thinking, well, super's not tax; it's something a little bit new. And uh, and so I spent you know four hours a day every day for for four years on the on the phone talking to to people about um, their employer and employee obligations and and everything super, and uh, and then you know the opportunity arose uh, through uh, through a colleague of mine to to get into um, the space of what was back in the time a thing called excluded superannuation funds and um, and so I thought well this this sounds interesting. So I uh, I made my way into the the private sector, and uh, jumped on board into excluded funds, and and then started the journey pretty much that year with what became self managed super funds. So really got the opportunity to grow with this industry and uh, and and provide support to advisors and trustees uh, in that space basically since day one. Fantastic, and and you've been very lucky in the fact that nothing's changed since then. No, no, it's been uh, been a pretty smooth ride, you know, uh, two and a half, three percent super guarantee, um, and uh, you know, one set of rules about benefit payments and contributions. So it's it's been a pretty cruisy twenty uh, odd years. Oh my goodness, hasn't it been a roller coaster? Um, so tell us about that journey. So as 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 you've come through, obviously, you know, a big part of your job is not just teaching; it's it's learning along the way, uh, and working stuff out, and you know, working out every time the legislation changes and. What does that actually mean for everybody, and how is it going to work? Yeah, and and look, and I think that's always been the interesting thing, and and, and probably uh, the the one lesson 
not the one lesson I learned from from being part of the the tax office, but uh, but being being in there and, and being at the the the, the coalface every day of the questions that are being asked. It, it's more about, inter- the, I think the first thing's always been about interpreting the question. So before you can interpret the law, you've got to be able to interpret the question because um, people have this uncanny knack of asking questions to get the answer that they want to to, to get. And so uh, that, that one of my one of my great lessons on the, the, the super helpline back in the day was people would ring up and they'd, they'd want you to say yes to whatever you they're asking you. Um, and uh, when you said no, they were, they were quite disappointed. And so they generally would ring back a couple of minutes later, hoping to get somebody else. Uh, and so you'd have to tell them that you're on a four-hour shift. And uh, and, and so uh, it was it was probably worthwhile them going away and doing something else. So um, so so the whole the whole purpose of interpreting the law sort of starts at that question point, and then and then really I guess delving deep into things like <laughs> the exciting parts, explanatory memorandums and, uh, and, um, and, and other sort of documentation, policy documents that, that lead up to it. And so for me, that was the, the first process. And, and then, you know, finding peers and, and others within the industry who you can have, you know, good, frank discussions with about, about matters and, and not, afra- not be afraid to be wrong um, in your interpretation of stuff to, to be able to, to get a good grounding, to be able to at least have conversations with people and, and also then importantly sort of tell people that they can and can't do th- certain things. Um, so so the, the learning part as an educator, the learning part is, is ongoing and, and I'm still learning to this day, um, you know, as, as, uh, as we'll talk about no doubt with all the, the reform stuff with, with superannuation. Um, it, it's really just a matter of uh, taking on board certainly what does the government release first, then what's other people's opinions, uh, and and how do those two things match up, and then ultimately what does the regulator say because uh, because they're the they're the final set of eyes that have to be cast over things, uh, and so you you want to at least um, as much as possible agree with agree with the regulator. Yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting, isn't it? Well, now. I, I, as you say that, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the, the law's black and white, it's, it's written down, there's some explanations there. Surely there could be no debate over this, but you're, you're absolutely right when it comes to a lot of these issues. It's, it's about understanding and, and having those open debates with, like, with colleagues and other people around to, to, you know, to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, and look, it's it's, it's interesting, and I, and I know in the series uh, you you had some some discussions with uh, with ASF audits, um, and and my relationship with with ASF audits goes back twenty years, and um, and I can certainly say that most of those conversations in the early days were not just about a, an administrator and an auditor agreeing with thing uh, on, on things, because largely we disagreed on pretty much everything, um, which is the the purpose in many respects of. Of uh, of the auditor, uh, and and my original go to argument was always it's not what the law says, it's what the law doesn't say, um, and I think particularly with with the legislation is is the legislation will often um, tell you what you're prohibited from doing, or they'll they'll set the parameters around what what uh, what applies, but then everything in between section one and section 300 or whatever sort of provides some form of um, scope to to be different um, and uh, and so yeah so gray is is obviously the favorite color of of all SMSF educators because uh, that's the the ultimate world that we live in yeah that's a really interesting part of the of any legislation that comes out isn't it that the fact that that often the guidance is you know don't do this and don't do that. Not yep. here is a, here is best practice. Go and do that, and then yeah, and, and look at and I, and I think that's the that's the key. The, the the classic one I think in the in the SMSF space is you know the contribution rules that they're, they're they're the same for for whether you're in you know, contribute to an industry fund, a retail fund, um, self managed super fund, all those sorts of things are the same. You know the investment rules are, are really where the the SMSF space comes into its own. Um, and and that's where you know there's the guidelines are you've got to have an investment strategy, uh, but it doesn't tell you what you've got to have in that investment strategy. And 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 uh, and the ATO's position has has always been and, and and hasn't changed in this space that it's it's your fund, and so as trustees you ultimately control it, subject to sole purpose test and and other sorts of key issues. 
So there's a huge amount of um, you know room to maneuver within the you know you've got to have a strategy to to provide for your retirement, but we're not going to tell you what that strategy is. You have to work it out for yourself. But here's some guidelines about what you definitely can't do, uh, and so everything else beyond that is either black and white, like listed securities and a few things like that, or you know slightly questionable when you start to talk about what is business real property, you know, what are the rules around limited recourse borrowing arrangements? How can you invest in related entities and all those sorts of other things? You know, and who is a related entity? All these areas, you know, they take you down a path like a, a you know, the the, the the classic rabbit hole um, and you don't know where you're going to come out. Yeah, fantastic. Now, obviously having, uh, working in a regulator has its benefits. Um, you know, when you, you look back and understanding how regulators work from the inside out, not just from the outside in, I think we, we're often guilty of just um, looking at regulators from the outside as a as a big logo or, you know, the ATO, it's a big logo or ASIC is a big logo and not really thinking about what happens on the inside. Uh, yeah. How does that help with, with, with your career? Well, look, I mean, I, to be fair, uh, in some of my presentations that I that I do, I, I may I may go a little harsh on on the the tax office from a, a regulatory point of view, and and that's that's often comes back to, uh, say, their interpretation versus uh, mine and others within the the industry, and and, uh, and and that's the beauty of interpretation is that not everybody's is the same, but one of the one of my messages that has been really clear. For, for many years is that um, we, we're very quick to to highlight the the deficiencies in in the ATO reporting of of certain information uh, but very um, <laughs> very casually ignore the fact that often it's us doing the reporting and and so it's uh, it's an element of of what I would suspect and what I often call garbage in garbage out and so you know if you're reporting processes and, and means uh, are not up to scratch uh, then the information on the other end, uh, is generally going to be, you know, also not up to scratch. Now, you know, along the journey, there's no doubt that the regulator uh, has had some some relatively terrible systems. So, so, so certain elements don't report that well. But, you know, I think like the rest of us, they've evolved in that space, and and uh, and we can all be quite critical of. Of things like MyGov and uh, and and other systems that that the ATO particularly use, uh, but you know as they have evolved, the the capacity for us to um, report on total superannuation balance and and all those sorts of elements, um, it may not still be in our you know ideal world, but it's certainly. Um, leaps and bounds on having to write to the regulator and, and get a, a list of stuff reported out to you and it would take X number of months and things to do. Um, you, you know, just the timing of those sorts of things can improve in time. So, yeah, so so I still apply the garbage in, garbage out sort of process in that um, whatever, we're, whatever we're reporting in, if we're not reporting correctly to, to the regulator, then we can't expect them to report correctly back to us, albeit that there are areas they can lift their game in. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, the technology and the software is one thing, and if the yep. systems don't allow it, then they don't allow it, and yep. you know we need to wait till systems catch up because often that can be a, a long wait. But they're also just human beings, right? Inside these, right. Uh, these in, inside these, um, you know, organisations, uh, and it's you know in a in a difficult situation. And as you would imagine, we're spending four hours on the phone talking to somebody. Um, yep. You know, a, as a regulator, if they're going to be starting to abuse you, then they, you're not exactly going to enjoy the conversation or, or, or want to give them uh, some lenience. No, that's right. And, and, and look, I, I liken it a little bit. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad and, and I've been a, a coach uh, of my son's uh, sporting teams and uh, – and and I liken it to you know umpires of, of junior football and and even sports uh, for for adults or whatever where you know ultimately whenever the umpire makes a decision fifty percent of people disagree um, and that's because the decision's gone gone against them so you know if you apply that in in the SMSF space well the, the ATO are ultimately the umpire and uh, and and they're the umpire between Treasury. Uh, and and the, the the end user being the, the the SMSF trustees in this instance, but uh, advisors and accountants and that as well. And so you've got a piece of law written by policymakers with with and when I say a piece of law, lots of lots of pieces of law um, <laughs> that are occasionally changing, uh, written by policymakers who then can can wipe their hands off it. They've done their job. You've then got the, the end users that are trying to interpret that law and, and trying to apply it to their own set of circumstances. 
And then you have this group in the middle uh, who ultimately have to make an assessment of whatever decisions you make as the the end user to make sure they are in line with the intention of that that piece of law. And so there is always going to be disagreement and there's always going to be um problems in that place but yeah it's it's the concept that uh, absolutely they're all they're all human um you know i've even met a few of them so uh, so i can uh, i can personally uh, personally attest to that and uh, and they're just trying to to do their job ultimately with almost the same amount of information that you have um with regards to interpreting uh, that uh, that information perhaps with uh, with with higher capacity to uh, to engage the legal fraternity from uh, from the, the the commissioner's point of view but uh, but that's possibly the where it ends as far as additional powers yeah i think that's probably a really good analogy just to treat the the regulators like they're the referee on on the field and um and you've got to treat them uh, treat them as as human beings and with respect and and obviously when it comes to the policymakers you know their job is to write policy that favors more People than not favours people and, and keep it you know keep it reasonably fair because for all the different systems as you said you know the, the government has to collect tax yeah to run the country if it doesn't then guess what we don't run the country so that's great uh, so uh, yeah I guess it's a, it's a it's about making sure that more people obviously there's going to be losers every single piece of legislation there's winners and losers and the idea is just have more winners and losers right. Yeah, correct, correct, and, and you know, and that, that is the, you know, that is the, the the superannuation conundrum, isn't it? Is 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 probably I think, um, and it's come up recently with with some of the the legislation that that was uh, that was enacted sort of just prior to um, to the end of June, which was in regards to um, contribution changes, but also the definition of a self managed superannuation fund. And we might talk about that stuff a little bit later. But, but you know, when you read through the the, the conversation that's going on inside uh, Parliament when they're talking about these sorts of things, there it, it is very much um, that there are winners and losers, and it is very much about like how well, this this does benefit this this core group of people, uh, and and it's 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 ultimately not necessarily anti these other ones, but they're not going to benefit. Um, from it, and so it's finding the balance. And and one of the things that was was raised, and you know, it probably won't get too much coverage. I, I wouldn't suspect uh, in the in the broader sort of sense of the industry. But one of the one of the pieces of legislation that went through when they're talking about the whole your future, your super stuff, and they're talking about the the definition of self managed super and the changes to the to the bring forward rules and other contribution rules. As I said, if we want to pass this legislation, shouldn't we actually go back to the concept that we don't have an objective of superannuation or an objective for superannuation? We tried uh, and failed to introduce a one-liner of what is the objective of super. It was it was proposed as an amendment and was scrapped pretty much straight away. So you know, really difficult to to. I guess continue to pursue the purpose of super if you don't have an objective uh, for it. Yeah, it's kind of like the North Star, isn't it? Like yeah. The purpose. Yeah, mm. absolutely. You kind of need to start with a purpose. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. So tell us about what your passion, why why self-managed to be fun? Oh, um, look, I, I think ultimately my, my, my passion's um, driven by and uh, – I did a presentation once for a group of uh, a group of self managed super fund trustees, and and the the, the advice group that um, that got me up to to present said, Tim, give us give us your bio, and uh, and I, I I wrote something down for them, and one of the sentences that's always stuck with me. One of my sentences was, you know, um, Tim enjoys nothing more than than educating self managed super fund trustees, and and the the director of this business has got up and said, like, we're really happy to have Tim here. Bit of a sad indictment of his life that he loves nothing more than educating um, self-managed super fund trustees. But uh, but I think that for me was you know it was a, it, it was certainly a moment where I changed my bio shortly after that. But uh, but I think the the message was 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 clear uh, at that point in time that um, whilst we talk about the tax office being a, a regulator um, with regards to uh, the, the the interpretation of the law, you know I really my, my passions it stems from making sure that. Uh, those people that are ultimately um, engaged in this industry, which is the trustees of self-managed superannuation funds, the mums and dads, that they that they have that not not necessarily the voice, but they, they at least have um, 
have people that can help them interpret what potentially their advisors, their accountants and that are, are talking about in this regard, but also ensuring that, um, and I've done a lot of uh, accreditation courses under the old sort of prior to, to, to FASIA and that, the old RG146 requirements. I used to do um, courses on a, effectively a monthly basis for advisors wanting that qualification. Uh, and so my passion's always really been about, you know, if you want to be in this space, it is a specialist area uh, as a broader part of the, the superannuation industry. You know, you really need to to have the, the knowledge to be able to talk to trustees and then your trustees need to have uh, a, a broad sense of knowledge, one, because they're signing a declaration that says they have that knowledge, um, but, uh, but two, because you want them to understand the strategies that you're actually explaining to them so they can determine whether it does benefit them or not. So, so I sort of see myself as as um, having this, this, this singular objective of making sure that everybody is entitled to and gets the same level of education um, that is available for the, the richest SMSF, well, then the, the poorest superannuation member deserves that same, same amount of information. Well, fantastic. What I heard you say then was that you just love helping people. And because you know so much about this stuff, it's, uh, it's an easy uh, way for you to help them. Yeah, uh, that, that would probably be a pretty good summary. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell us about your job then. What's your day-to-day job involve? So so my day-to-day job uh, is ultimately about, um, I guess, gathering information. So, for example, over over the last six months, we've had two federal budgets, uh, or j- just over six months, we've had two federal budgets. Uh, you know, we're four years into super reform that seems to be never-ending. Um, and it, it's and so my, my day-to-day job is about interpreting what we we currently know. So you know, we we at Super Guardian we have a, a significant client base, and and they have questions, and they want to know whether or not they can undertake certain transactions. Now we we don't advise on on um, on on what a fund should or shouldn't do. We provide support on from a compliance point of view what what is and isn't possible, and then they need to go and and, and seek that uh, that advice piece. So so. On a day-to-day basis, I've got the the, the daily administrative compliance uh, issues to to consider and conversations often um, involving auditors and and, and other parties. Then there is a large part of my my time spent on researching my next subject of choice. So, you know, I run – as a minimum, I run monthly webinars – but I'm also writing regular um, content for for articles. So I do monthly monthly articles for a number of um, advice groups out there. I write uh, articles for for trade magazines, and I also do you know technical updates for our our client base as well. So it's about uh, it's about trying to, to gather information. It's about trying to determine what's topical. Um, so it's about researching those, those elements and, and also taking some risks and, and, and not just you know writing about the what the new rules are. It's about potentially giving a little bit of an opinion about whether those rules are, are right or wrong and different what it might have, might, might be. So so a lot of research, um, a lot of conversations with with others. Um, I, I spent a reasonable amount of time talking to my peers. Um, within the industry, just to get get their position on on certain issues as well, because you know none of us are the the super oracle as such, and and so we all have have different opinions. Um, and then yeah, then ultimately it's about putting all that research into a presentation, into a paper, into a, a bulletin or an article, um, and making sure you're getting the right message across. So um, that's a day. Day in the life. <laughs> Fantastic. So I, I see then uh, that self-managed super funds are kind of a team sport and um, you then become the coach or the captain of that, that team because obviously, you, with, like you said, you're dealing with you know um, clients, you're dealing with administrators, you're dealing with uh, auditors, you're dealing with advisors, accountants and all different uh, aspects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, if if if, uh, if the analogy, if our sporting analogy is that I'm the, the head coach, then um, then, you know, it's about having the, the right level of assistant assistance around you. You know, you need the, the defensive coach and the uh, the attacking coach and that as well. And uh, and uh, and others that can can help sort of, you know, 
it in many respects reined me in um, because given given the microphone and a stage, um, once you put me there, then then it's it, it's harder to stop me. Um, but uh, but in the in the build up tool of that, you know, we can talk about the parameters around you know what what message we're trying to get across, and so you know, always Fantastic. happy to work. So you're used to having four hour conversations, it's great. Um, yeah. So, so let's let's look at that then. If it, if it is a team of people, uh, we call it self managed, which kind of indicates that it's you know a, a small per, a small thing, as in one person or mm. or a couple of directors managing this fund. But you know, maybe the maybe the term self managed super fund is is something that uh, might need to be considered. Yeah, well, I don't think they've ever got the term right because it um, it's you know when we we started out in this industry and they called it do it yourself super um, and nobody did it themselves and anyone that tried to do it themselves generally you know I wouldn't want to uh, cast aspersions but most people didn't do it right uh, and 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 that that's in the sense that you've got lodgement obligations you've got other other sorts of areas and uh, and so I think the the best way I like to define self managed is that that you are as trustees you're the manager of a of a broader team uh of of people that is is um is looking after your fund and so it's it's bringing that concept back and probably the most loosely used term of 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 what is the what is the number one benefit of having a self-managed superannuation fund if you ask that question over the last 20 years the answer will always come back with control uh, and and but the the anomaly is that you you don't have control uh, necessarily because you are engaging with uh, potentially a, a financial advisor, with an auditor, with potentially an actuary, with investment managers. So, so you you are managing that uh, that group of professionals to help you achieve your objectives, and often those the, those groups are involved in determining what those objectives are as well. And so the concept of control is a really strong one in that in that the, the real benefit of of controlling the fund is that you have the ultimate say in in what you're doing. So from a from a timing point of view, you know you can control when you buy and sell investments so so therefore you can control when you can control ultimately to a degree to a certain degree when you lodge your your fund so if you if you operate through um, a fund administrator like ourselves then they obviously have their own lodgement programs but ultimately you know the provision of information uh, the way that data flows through to the administrators will will help in the timing of those those issues so control is a loose concept but ultimately it's a, a a management concept and that's the link to to self-manage but yeah to find the appropriate name is um is a difficult one yeah has there been anything else put forward <laughs> look uh, no, not officially it's it, I, I always see all of these other sorts of um names out there of, of of people promoting you know the new style superannuation fund which are just you know, just sort of fancy names for self-managed funds. But, you know, whether you talk about the, um, like the family fund and, and all those sorts of things, well, that concept can't be correct because there can be people that are other other than the family members um, inside of the, the funds. So, you know, it, it's... It, I think ultimately the legislation's got it right when they talk about funds with fewer than, and, and of course we're now talking about funds with fewer than seven members or, or funds with up to six members. Um, but uh, when they talk about the small superannuation fund, that obviously pretty much defines what it is. It's a it's a it's a small fund. It's a fund with less than a certain number of members. Um, but it, it's probably more a self-directed superannuation fund than a self-managed um, superannuation fund. And I, and I, but I think you know, self-managed sounds a little bit more um, you know exciting. Hey, it's in the name. It uh, and it's sort of one of those things, isn't it? Uh, changing the name doesn't actually change most of the outcomes. No, that's right. Um, but uh, you mentioned control. That a lot of people feel that it's control is the thing, but that's mm. a quite a loose term. Well, in your opinion, what's the big benefit then? The, the big benefit of, of, of self-managed super? Yeah, over normal. Well, I, I think the, the the big benefit is, um, I guess, trying to trying to put that into to a term, 
broadness of choice, uh, I think, is is probably more the, the the benefit of it. So so choice is also as 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 broad a word as control, um, but uh, but you've got investment choice. So you know, arguably, you can say, well, with uh, with the other funds within the within the sector you've also got choice of investment strategy but they have to be a little bit more streamlined with with what their strategies actually are uh, and you've got professional fund managers um, sitting in behind them so so they're not necessarily uh, going to, uh, to to look at such things as you know cryptocurrencies uh, residential property artwork um, you know the all sorts of the oddity style investments that you might actually see in the SMSF space and so I think choice is probably the to me the the, the greatest um, benefit of, of self-managed super given that with choice, obviously, comes responsibilities, and uh, sound a little bit like Spider Man there with, with that sort of with that sort of statement. But um, you know, the the whole the whole idea that you're not um, beholden to one set of rules or one set of of, of an investment vehicle, um, and and can broaden your horizons a bit. And probably engagement fall, would fall into that as well if, if yeah. people are really, you know, actively engaged in this sort of versus just, you know, one of those things that. Yeah, you know, I, I hate I hate it when someone else comes up with the better answer than me in that regard. No, I, I'm, I'm just feeding <laughs> off what you're saying. Yeah, just, but, it's, yeah. but look, it, uh, and and the irony is is that um, years ago when I first started doing presentations uh, around the concept of whether a self managed super fund is right for for people, uh, and this was really around that whole simpler super reform, which was never simpler back in uh, in two. 2007, uh, but that that sort of concept uh, where always used to talk about the pros and cons, and I've always always been mindful of making sure that you highlight the cons of self-managed super as much as the the pros. But you know, when I was work, working side by side with some colleagues at that point in time, and and engagement was actually the word that we said. You know, let's be a little bit different. Let's say that that one of the real reasons that people get into self-managed super fund is that it gives them something to do uh, in in the, in the superannuation space, and it gives them a greater appreciation for what the the superannuation system uh, incorporates, and so. Yeah, yeah, engagement. You know, can I take my answer back uh, and uh, and say engagement? But it, it's absolutely um, a, a critical issue in 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 our space. Yeah, I think um, I think when people do that and they get engaged, it gives them a bit of a status thing as well. You know, like yep. it, yeah, and and to be able to you know get down to the uh, the bowls club or something and t- and tell their friends about how they're uh, they're the, uh, the investment manager of their uh, their fund. Yeah, and look and and. You're absolutely spot on, and but and I think then you know the if if I just jump back to to my concept about the pros and cons is that engagement, that choice, and that control, uh, all, all those sort of three uh, key words, and they all lead to things like taxation benefits and, and and other elements where the tax rules aren't any different for self managed super, but you control when the the tax events happen and and, and those sorts of elements, but but the fl- the flip side of that is um, the responsibility is obviously linked to your capacity to to undertake and, and perform certain duties, and and so you know with with the inevitability that we get older, uh, therefore you know how how much responsibility do you want uh, beyond a certain point in time in your life, and um, and I, I actually still think to this day that it's the one area that the self managed super industry hasn't really nailed down, and and that is. Um, there's, there's a lot of conversation. Always has been a lot of conversation around elder abuse and and, and other elements, but also um, mental health and and diminishing health and and invalidity. Uh, those sorts of areas that that the SMSF environment doesn't actually sit well in well within, um, because you're you're often finding you're moving your trustee powers over to to someone else uh, via enduring powers of attorney and and the like, and and then. You know, then it's a different mind controlling your fund. It's not yours, and uh, you know, and I, and I think that you know we have this this small superannuation fund alternative, which is the small APRA fund, um, and it, it's an area that I've, I've 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 often been passionate about. We used to do some administration um, of small APRA funds in in the past life. And it's an area that I think is underutilized because the regulator treats self-managed and small APRA quite different and that's because of the APRA concept um, and so you know I, I think with all of those other pros of, of self-managed super you know that end of life and, uh, and and that part of the industry 
still has its difficulties that we have to to try and overcome and that's where the advice piece is is hugely critical um and and when i talk about that is an smsf right for you concept you know day one you know we say not not what's the name of your self-managed super fund not what are you going to call it but have you got an enduring power of attorney and have you got a will in place because you don't know what's happening to you when uh, and and you need to to address these issues from the very moment you start talking about self-managed super yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's definitely a skill in being a trustee, yeah. um, especially for somebody else has an enduring power of attorney or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, there is definitely a, a lot of work that goes into that and you you do actually have to think very, very differently as somebody representing somebody else versus uh, what you would do yourself. So to be able to remove you, remove emotion or remove, you know, you remove yourself from that situation and put yourself in a different situation is a skill. And I think, um, you know, too often it's just, you know, they put the kids in charge and then that, uh, that's when something can go wrong. Yeah. Correct. Um, very good. So, um, tell us about, uh, like, uh, before the, obviously we've just gone through the, the, the new financial year and, and things that, you know, change for you as, as every time you go through a financial year, what were you helping with, with people with, uh, you know, post 30 June? Oh, sorry, pre thirty June. Pre thirty June, yeah. So, so what, cool. what, um, what we were sort of helping with mainly there in that regard was, was this this whole idea because you know we all got caught up a little bit in, uh, as I said, super reform in theory happened uh, in two thousand and seventeen, but but it's been a, a constant change every year since two thousand and seventeen. And, you know, the one thing that everyone had been waiting for was indexation. Now, you know, indexation um, has occurred at 1 July. So we, we've now got new concessional and non-concessional caps, which gives us greater bring forward capacity from a non-concessional amount. We've also got a new transfer balance cap. So we had the, the increase from 1.6 to 1.7. But with, with that comes this whole concept that um, – you know, not all things are, uh, are treated equal. And so not everybody gets a new personal transfer balance cap. Not everybody gets a new non-concessional contribution caps because they've exhausted their capacity to make non-concessional contributions. And so it was a, it was a little bit about uh, the, the conversation pre-30 June was a, a good one for leading people into the, the future of, of planning that as well, which is this concept that that the, the, the super environment now is very much a, a hindsight versus foresight kind of conversation in, in that um, contribution strategies are, are very much driven by hindsight because everything is based on your total super balance at the previous 30th of June. And so, you know, where, where you sat at the, the, the previous 30 June uh, gave you the, the capacity to make decisions in the lead up to the to the next 30 June with your ability to make contributions. And and probably nowhere was that more evident than 30 June 2021, where where ultimately we saw a situation where 30 June 2020 was coming off the back of of you know the initial market crash of of, of COVID-19. And and so a lot of self-managed super fund balances were down, well they a lot of them hit drop 30% in March 2020, and then it was maybe a slight recovery, but uh, but not significant. But then come 30 June 2021, some of those portfolios had had grown 25, 30%. You know, some some parts of the market were up 40%, and you know that that's that's quite a significant growth, particularly for those um, sort of higher higher balance members who at 30 June 2020 might have been thinking, okay, well, well, we'll be able to make contributions um, in, a, in a couple of years' time and we know there's going to be some indexation, so we'll wait for that indexation and then we'll make our contributions. But, you know, all of a sudden they're sitting sitting at $1.4 million at 2020 and then they've got $1.7 million at, at 2021 because of the growth and, and they're out of the game, they're out of the contribution game. So... The way that the the thing that I was focusing on a lot before thirtieth of June was, what can you do before you get to this point? And and I think it's a it's it's a message for moving forward is that if we're saying that every decade we get a a, a big market event that uh, that creates sort of a lot of losses, that we shouldn't be focusing necessarily on the, the 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 downturn in the market. We should be focusing on the opportunities that that creates with lower balances at at a point in time. Now. Not all those opportunities are great for everybody, particularly if you've just retired and 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 you're looking at uh, at income streams and things. So so you've got that side of it, but then the foresight part is 
is the pension side of things, and that is that uh, you know growth growth is 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 probably the enemy of of pensions from the point of view is that it, it requires you to draw um, higher incomes down when you might not necessarily want to. Um, yes, we've got the the fifty percent minimum pension reduction again um, this year, but uh, you know we've also got a transfer balance cap of of one point seven million dollars. And if you if you've got that growth that for those clients that are lucky enough to have more than that, well then they've got to make decisions about money sitting in accumulation versus money sitting in in a pension account and 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 then what that means from a an investment strategy point of view and and all those other sorts of things so so the focus sort of pre 30 june was how do you deal with the known issues like how do you deal with from an advice piece dealing with what you know about versus speculating on on what you think might be happening uh, in the future because you know we've had two budgets relatively close together and all those other sorts of things and and you know the the the, the proposals for 30 June 2022 would certainly I have no doubt would have been clouding some people's sort of um, minds in the lead up to, to 30 June 21 because they go well hang on this is what's going to happen in in a year's time potentially um, do we wait you know do we wait for indexation do we do all these sorts of things well. We've seen so much change in the last four years that often, you know, you, you, you do you wait for thirty thousand dollars worth of of a bring forward indexed cap and miss out on the opportunity to put in three hundred thousand, um, or do you act now and go, yeah, you know, by by acting now, I might have taken a little hit, but I've taken a a, a bigger benefit in the long term, um, and that's the game we play. Um, that strategically, you're only ever going to be right at the time that you write it. And then it could impact and could be changed. You know, it's like the 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 one thing this twenty twenty two stuff, and and we might talk about it a little bit, um, like the legacy pensions, and and the removal or the amnesty that that is proposed to come in, you know, potentially in a year's time, where people will have a two year window to wind up these pensions. Now, it doesn't impact that many uh, self managed super funds in the, the the grand scheme of things, but you know, I was I was um, at the the coalface back in the early 2000s of setting these sorts of things up. And the pe- the reason people set these up were for legitimate reasons based on the law at the time. Um, and now they've become the scourge of the industry since 2007. But you can only act on what the law allows you to act on at any given point. Um, and so when we talked before about technology catching up and, and things like that, it, you know, it's it's the law catching up with, with things as well. So um, the other thing I was grappling with sort of pre-30 June is uh, I'm getting questions almost daily and um, ab- about things like cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens. And uh, and people will say, hey, Tim, what's your opinion on non-fungible tokens? I'll say, well, let me firstly Google what non-fungible tokens are, and then I'll give you an opinion about it. And, you know, it's it's when people say, oh, what do you think about NFTs? And you yeah. go, oh, uh, let yeah. me just... Google yeah. NFT, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I, I know a lot about NFI, um, but uh, but NF, NFTs was was an interesting one, and and, and you know, and and I um, I've been doing a couple of presentations on this space, and it's a fascinating area because you know I think blockchain technology gives us one thing, uh, and and that sounds like I know what I'm talking about when I can just say what it's called straight away, but but blockchain blockchain gives us um, the this great capacity to um, track transactions and and absolutely identify ownership um, with with regards to you know separation of assets and and some of those critical issues for self managed superannuation funds. But given that that a lot of this stuff was introduced to avoid um, you know centralisation and to to avoid government <clears throat> regulation and that, and then to incorporate them from an investment point of view in the most highly regulated um, environment, you know it, it, it's it's the it's the clashing of um, of two clans in, in in many respects. And you know the the whole. NFT stuff, when we're talking about digital art, you know, you can guarantee that there are self-managed super funds already um, trying to engage in, in these sorts of investments and the regulations just don't exist. We have collectible and personal use asset rules, which talk about storage, which talk about insurance, uh, which talk about displaying and all those sorts of things. Well, how do you, how do you regulate um, USBs, and and that that's a really uh, that, that that's a really sort of um, 
archaic way of looking at it, but you know, the to identify blockchain's one thing to then talk about the actual piece that the investment is in, which is you know this, this digital artwork or whatever. And and I'm not sure if you saw that one recently. There was that a, the Italian artist who sold nothing, like he sold a sculpture of 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 nothing um it was in a 1.5 by 1.5 meter square and somebody paid $23,000 for effectively an invisible sculpture now i mean i've been making invisible sculptures all my life but um but but no one's willing to uh, to pay you're going to have to start you have to start marketing them exactly turns out people do pay for them well, um, well this is it but but how do you how do we regulate this sort of stuff um because because what we're doing is we're seeing that um that movement in our industry from from you know the older generation of self-managed super fund members to the new members are uh, invariably younger members and they're their life skills are driven more by um, the internet, by digital investments, and those sorts of sorts of, sorts of things. And uh, the regulation often just takes too long. Regulations take too long to catch up, and therefore it's hugely problematic for fund auditors and those sorts of um, parties and advisors. Anyone that uh, you know, you can't advise on this stuff. So. Well, it is interesting that uh, financial advisors, in most cases, can't advise on correct. it, and, and that's often due to a, um, you know, a, uh, you know, a PI issue as yep. as well, more than anything. A lot, a lot of PI insurers are removing themselves to say you can't uh, you can't um, mention it. But it is a very interesting thing where where you do have um, you know trustees that, as you mentioned, have broadness of choice, but yet uh, you know those you know those new technology type assets that are coming out there that are tradable. Yep. Uh, purchasable and and saleable. Um, you know, you can use real money. You don't need to use crypto to buy them. You can actually, yep. you know, purchase them with real money. And digital art is, you know, one of those very interesting things, which is the NFTs. Um, yep. Often it's the sale of a, a individual piece of digital art. Obviously, when we're used to um, the difference between an NFT and normal digital art, is I can pretty much share an image on the internet. You can share it, then a thousand other people can share it, and we can all have a copy of this yep. art. Um, whereas this uh, just allows us to say, oh, "No, I'm the actual owner of the art, and yeah. it's, you know, it's it it, it belongs to me." Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, we do have rules around you know display. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know it's, it's going to yeah. be a hard one to police. I think more than well, anything. Yeah, I think so, and I think probably importantly in that is that um, you know the the. The balancing the I own it piece with yeah, but does that satisfy the sole purpose test? Like how is that how is that providing for your retirement? So that's a self gratification issue. And and I thought one of the one of the the, the great things you said before when we were talking about um, the, the the whole enduring powers of attorney and, and things was you know the the taking emotion um, out of out of the decision making. Well, as trustees, we we technically have to take emotion out of the the, the decision making process for uh, creating an investment strategy uh, and, and effectively the sole purpose test and and previous rulings by the ATO on that says that the decision ultimately can't be emotive. You know, you you it has to be. Um, driven by how does this investment provide for my retirement, and if if in any way, shape, or form the decision is made based on any personal enjoyment that you get out of it, then largely you're in breach of the sole purpose test. Um, yes, there are incidental benefits and those sorts of things, and so you know it's it's a real it's a real minefield um, with regards to um, where the regulator will come out um, with this area and uh, and deal with it. Yeah, it is absolutely, and uh, I think it's something that they have to address, though, because it, yeah. it's definitely a thing. It's definitely around, and it's something that they're going to have to put some put some words to paper around, because otherwise, people will, like you said, if there's no words on the paper, then people will will start purchasing these items and putting them in the fund, and then uh, working out later that maybe that might not be a great thing. Yeah. Speaking of super reform and and all the information that um you know has came out over the past four years and 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 happening over the next you know five or six years to come, you know, and a good yep. decade worth of tinkering around the edges. Tell us what you think um, might be coming down the track or, or what you think maybe should coming down the track. Yeah, well, look, I think I, I guess probably where I'd, where I'd start with that is um, with the, the budget announcement stuff and, 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 and perhaps sort of where I see that that landing um, in a in a post twenty twenty two environment because you know the the interesting thing about this 
recent federal budget was it's the it's kind of the first time that um that I've seen where the government have said, here's these measures, and we assume that they're going to start from the 1st of July 2022. That's effectively what they said. And 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 that's a reflection of where we've been for the last decade. You know, we, we've had we've had 10 years of, of, I guess, government instability with regards to, you know, who's leading, leading the country at any given point in time. And and what that's meant is that legislation has largely taken a lot longer to 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 pass through, and 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 you know the recently the the, the changes to the the bring forward provisions um, was a was a classic example of that. You know, introduced as a as a federal budget announcement, but then took uh, well and truly in excess of you know, twelve months to 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 come into to law and things um, on a measure which. In its release was supported by the opposition. So you know, if, if if measures that are supported by the opposition take in excess of twelve months, then um, when you've got dissent, uh, then you know measures invariably don't get through, or they go through in 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 significantly changed manner. So. When we start to talk about uh, some of the the 2022 proposals around downsizing contributions and uh, and and lowering the age limit there and and things like the first home super saver scheme and enhancing how much uh, you can you can contribute from a deposit or how much you can draw from a deposit point of view, so the changes of that going from thirty thousand to to fifty thousand, you know, it makes me makes me contemplate um, just how successful those measures will become. If you then reflect on what we've just talked about, which is that there's been so much regulatory change, because you know if the first home super saver scheme, for example, is currently thirty thousand dollars that you can withdraw plus plus your earnings, and the most you can contribute is fifteen thousand a year, so you've got your caps, but the most that you can attribute to the first home super saver is fifteen thousand a year. So you know, simple math says, well, that takes you two years to uh, to contribute and, and take your money out. But if that limit's increasing to fifty thousand, and you know everyone knows that a fifty thousand dollar deposit on a home is better than a thirty thousand deposit on a home, but if you're doing that in super and you're still limited to only putting fifteen thousand in a year, then all of a sudden a two year strategy becomes a a four year strategy if you want to maximise it. And what else changes in that four year period? You know we're talking about benefits being preserved in the super environment and lots of life circumstances can change in a in a four-year period and so then if we're talking about younger generations making contributions to buy a house and they're putting it into super and circumstances change well then they preserve their benefits until you know post age 60 Um, and what's not to suggest probably to nail down a key concern of mine from your original question is what's not to suggest in a world where Age pension age has increased to to sixty seven, and the work test has gone from or, or not needing to to satisfy the work test has gone from sixty five to sixty seven and potentially to seventy four, um, where you've got the ability to contribute. Uh, what's to suggest that um, our condition of release from a retirement point of view doesn't move from sixty five to to sixty seven? So um, accessibility so that that's always in the back of my mind a problem is is accessibility uh, to to superannuation benefits and of course if we do see that move to 67 particularly particularly with the age pension moving to 67 the fact that preservation ends at 60 in theory um, with, with regards to when you can can actually satisfy the retirement condition of release from age age 60 by making a declaration of of no intention to re-enter the workforce those sorts of things then we've got this seven year window where people will have accessibility to to their superannuation which to me then exposes the age pension um system a, a lot more because people are potentially drawing down um, you know without necessarily a great appreciation of life expectancy and, and other sorts of elements um, the, this this window this window is created where you know superannuation serve one purpose we're all terrible savers and so we um, we have super to preserve our benefits so we don't spend that money uh, and most of us look for ways to access that that superannuation money and and so how do we satisfy the definition of retirement what what can we do to get access to to this money so you know from a you take those policy announcements for 2022 and you expand on them to to think um, of the the extension of that and you go okay well 
where's the change to preservation? Where is the, at what point in time do we see the removal of um, tax-free, tax-exempt income over the age of, of 60? When does transition to retirement income streams cease or when do they change the age that that comes into to effect? Um, when do we lose the ECPI deduction in its entirety and, and where do we go from a, a tax-free pension environment to a, a taxable environment because there's more people in pension and there are in accumulation? And, and and so, um, you know, the, and this comes back to that one comment we made before, there's no objective of superannuation. Um, and, and so without that, uh, without that objective, it, it makes it rife for bad policy decisions. Um, and, and that's my fear. Yeah, it certainly does. And it depends um, on who, who's writing the policies and what the, yeah. some of their objectives are. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, with no doubt, there's going to be lots of ripples uh, still to come, a lot of change on the on its way and so i guess for, for someone like yourself there's always going to be plenty of work to do that's for sure well well this is it i mean i i talk about a lot of instability but uh, i also got to say i love a lot of instability because uh it it, it keeps my mind fresh with regards to um you know the, the, there's that that moment of panic where you uh, you know you drive home on a federal budget night or whatever and all of a sudden you hear that they've changed the entire superannuation system uh, and so you realize that you're not going to sleep for for the next 24 hours um, but uh, but but deep down you kind of also hope for that um, so that uh, so you've got a job to go back to the next day <laughs> fantastic now you're obviously head of edu- education at super Guardian tell us about what else super Guardian does yeah so look super Guardian uh, Primarily is a self-managed super fund administrator. So, so we provide the the administration service for for SMSFs. Uh, we we have uh, effectively, I, I wouldn't say two offerings necessarily because admin is, is admin, but uh, we do service clients directly. But but largely our our referral source is um, SMSF professionals, so uh, financial advisors, accountants, in uh, fund managers. Um, stockbrokers who have have SMSF clients and and are looking for uh, somebody to to do the administration service. So the administration service broadly in, incorporates the compliance element that uh, that we've touched on throughout. Uh, the, the 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 podcast where ensuring that the funds are meeting their their legislative ob- obligations, but also in addition because from an audit point of view, there's two two obligations. One is the Compliance audit to make sure you're satisfying the rules, and the other one is the the financial audit, which is that uh, you know you you're reporting all the contributions and allocating them to the right place, making sure you know your franking credits match up, all your dividends have been received, um, all of the expenses are appropriately attributable to the right place, all that sort of stuff. So, so SMSF admin incorporates all of the the, the annual requirements for the fund, um, and then and then pumps it out in in, in respect of set of financial statements. So so largely our, our day-to-day business and core business is the collection of, of the, the data, the transactional data uh, for self-managed super funds, uh, turning that into reportable data from a regulatory point of view, and a lot of communication uh, via both the the the, the, um, the intermediaries, so the the SMSF professionals and the trustees, with regards to you know confirming that pension payments are made by the thirtieth of, of June, making sure that contributions are allocated to the to the correct member, you know, ensuring that that uh, assets are held in the correct names and, and and so all of those sorts of other elements. So yeah, so so the broad. Compliance administration is is the the role that uh, that we play here at uh, at Super Guardian. Fantastic! Sounds like a, it's around uh, just having advisors' backs. Correct, correct. It, it is ultimately, you know, part of that that relationship. It, it's part of that concept that we go back to from from the the early part of this discussion about the the, the management part and and who is who is performing all the various roles for the fund. You know, we're pay, we're playing that that key role in bringing everything together from from all the parties so from the trustee to their professional we're tying it all together to to present the material to the next part of the chain which is the auditor uh, and then ultimately lodging the the return as a tax agent with the uh, with the regulator yeah. and did you say you'd been around 28 years earlier on <sighs> I 
guess I alluded to that by suggesting uh, that uh, that 1994 was was roughly my start date in the superannuation industry, and 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 99 was when I started in um, the excluded and in the SMSF yeah. space. So yeah. I mean, it was hard to do that as as like a five year old at the time, but yeah. uh, but you yeah. know, it's uh, um, it, it's been a while. It's been a journey. Yeah. How long has Super Guardian been looking after clients for? So Super Guardian uh, themselves have been around for just in excess of of, of 18, 18 years. Um, so it's sort of uh, uh, probably, although it was probably eighteen years when I started here a, a couple of years ago. So it's probably getting pretty close to uh, to, to twenty years in existence as well. So so certainly um, they've been uh, been a big part of this this industry. Uh, in in the admin space for for a good portion of the existence of the industry. Fantastic. So, t- Tim, if somebody wants to continue the conversation or find out more, what's what's the best way they can do that? Yeah. Look, um, I, I mean, obviously, uh, the, the the best way to do it is if you wanted to jump on to to our website, superguardian.com.au. You get you get a couple of options there, or more than a couple of options. But uh, if people want to uh, to delve in to find out about a little bit about our admin, then they can uh, can do that from the site. But also, you know, from what I offer on a on a daily basis, um, you know, we've got the capacity for people to uh, to sign up to receive uh, technical updates and um, and access to you know my my regular webinars and uh, and and broader events. You know, it's been difficult for for someone like me who uh, Fraser, as you can tell, I like to talk. Um, you know, it's been, it's, it's been, I've been like a, a caged animal. I don't like to use that term, but I've been like a caged animal the last 12 months because I haven't been able to get out there face to face and, and, and do what I really enjoy doing. So, you know, we, we tinkered a little bit with some, some live events in March. Um, we, we've had to delay some June ones, obviously with, with things happening around the, uh, the country. So we've delayed them till, till September in the hope that, that uh, we can open up, but uh, the capacity to sign up and and uh, hear about what we're doing next and get our, our recent tech updates and that is is all possible through our website. Fantastic. So uh, if you're interested in looking at uh, getting some more information from Tim or from uh, Super Guardian, you can jump on their website uh, and sign up to their sign up for their for their updates or even attend an event in person. Hopefully one day. Fingers crossed. Tim, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us today. Really appreciate uh, giving some time. No, no worries, Fraser. Really, really love it. As, as you can tell, I, I enjoy uh, the conversation piece around self-managed, so always uh, always take up the opportunity to, to have a conversation. Fantastic. Thanks, Tim. No worries. Thank you.